Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. But no, I am not alone. Joining me at this time, Fangraphs, John Taylor, up there in New York City. John, good evening, sir. How are you? Good. I, I, Chase, I don't know if you watch what we do in the shadows, the delightful FX comedy about. Oh, I absolutely love. Okay. We, we literally watched two of the new episodes last night. The okay. Well, have you so, and I don't want to spoil anything for either you or any of your listeners who may not be caught up, but the most recent I'm like two episode. episodes behind. Okay. So there's a recent episode where, uh, you know, the house flipping show that Laszlo, that Laszlo mm-hmm. watch, has been watching mm-hmm. throughout. So there's an episode coming up where that features prominently. And Matt Berry has one of the greatest deliveries of the phrase New York City I've ever heard, which just comes out like <laughs> New York City. And I kind of want to try to just record it next chance. Mm-hmm. I can just have it just play for my introduction to be that's where I am is New York City. Or it, it's much better than that. Matt Berry is, is, is a, a gift to humanity with his voice and with his with his humor. But. Yeah, it's, I I just I just thought of that because I just watched that episode, the most recent episode, um, the other night, and boy, was that just a joy to hear. It is such a joyful show. It's one of our favorite comedies. It has no business being as good as it is, and like being as witty and well written and just well acted. Like, there's no weak yeah. part of that show. All the characters matter. All the characters are great. Everyone does a great job. the The thing I love about it is that it so easily could have been a show that you just are like, I can't stand this. Yes, but. Everyone is taking it. Everyone is taking it seriously, but not too seriously. Mm-hmm. Everyone has bought in, but without this, but without making it like too. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing. Like stuff like vampire stuff can can sometimes just come off like very goofy, and they mm-hmm. do it goofy but funny, which is yes. a, a really hard balance to strike with some of this stuff. How? What's your power rankings for your characters? On that show. Uh, I, I just can't say no to Laszlo being my number mm. one. I love him so very much. I love everything Matt Berry does. Um, boy, that's really tough. Uh, of the main characters, I think it'd probably be Laszlo, Nadia, Nandor, and Guillermo. Colin um, Robinson really low. Well, I mean, part of it is I so I, I like the baby Colin Robinson or, or whatever mm. the his title now <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I preferred, though, the adult Colin Robinson. Well, he'll be there before uh, you know it. He's growing be, at a rapid rate. He'll be back rate. before you know it. Mm-hmm. In terms of like side characters and one-off characters, um, I adore the, the, the doll, Nadia. Yes. With, with her human spirit. Uh, Nick Kroll's character, Simon the Devious, uh, mm-hmm. particularly for just the way he gets to introduce his crew of vampires with ridiculous names. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Baron. The Baron was always a good time when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh there, there's just so much. There's so every every person the the uh, Kristen Shaw's character, the guide, I think is, mm-hmm. is her title. Um, very very funny. That, that you're right. That there's every every character they have matters. Every character gets a moment. Every character shines. It it's just beautiful. Go watch it if you have not already. You can uh, stream all the new episodes on Hulu. Not an ad. Just go do it. It's good. It's a good time. Yeah, it's it's a great show. The best part is it's a half hour comedy, so you mm-hmm. can binge. It's in season four right now. You can binge. The first three seasons in like a weekend if you really want to get through it. I binged the first two seasons in like four days. Um, I had to stop at some points. So I was just laughing too hard. But mm-hmm. yes, go go watch what we do in the shadows. It's it's the best company on television. 
the Colin Robinson work episode still is just an yes. all-timer for me. Whenever you need a yeah. laugh, like that's what I would, that's a top three one to turn to because you will yeah. laugh no matter how many times you I, watch that episode. I highly recommend the Jackie Daytona episode. Yes, where Matt that Barry, one. Uh, runs from an outstanding <laughs> debt that he owes to a fantastic guest star, Mark Hamill, who just goes mm-hmm. completely 100% for his role. Really, really, really great episode. So, yes, go watch What We Do in the Shadows. It's the best. That man loves doing, like, these random, just spoopy it's, roles. It's he's the Joker, really great. and he's like, great at that. Like, could have just... been Luke Skywalker for the rest of his life, and instead he was like, no, I'm just going to do weird voiceover stuff and be, like, the iconic Joker for an entire generation of of comic-addled weirdos. Daniel Radcliffe's kind of doing the same on a much larger scale, right? Like yeah. Radcliffe is just, hey, I'm the most iconic child actor, movie star the last 40 years. I could just live off that and just do whatever because I made a gazillion dollars being Harry Potter. But he was like, no, I'm just going to do Weird Al uh, movies. Yeah. And I'm just going to do... I enjoy that this is a similar vibe coming off Robert Pattinson where it's mm. like, I could have done teen heartthrob shit forever. Instead, I'm going to just be in bizarre a24 movies with willem <laughs> dafoe and mm-hmm. or try to adapt dom De, dom de Lillo novels it, it's a really speaking of Harry's, have you seen you the know, new a24 movie uh i have not no bodies 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 it's great. i have not i've heard i've heard some good things about it some less good things about it but x was better i think okay. i don't know if you saw that earlier this summer uh, one of their other A24 films. There's Kid Cuddy's in that one. Okay. Um, there was a funny moment walking out with my fiance where I was like, I, Kid Cuddy, not bad. And she was like, that was Kid Cuddy the whole time. I'm like, yeah. what? Because <laughs> you don't expect to see like Kid Cuddy in a movie, in a yeah. big movie too. And you're just like, that's just Kid Cuddy. It's, and I'm like, who did you think that? Always, yeah, that's Kid Cuddy. It's weird when you get rappers like that. I remember like um, in the first Ant-Man movie, I don't think he came back for the second for a variety of reasons. T.I. being one of uh, Paul Rudd's like friends yeah. in that movie, where I was like, what on earth is Tip Man doing here? Like, <laughs> Hey, when I think Ant-Man, I think Tip Harris. Yeah, uh, exactly. Atlanta. Like, mm-hmm. you think you just get Rubber Band Man just going through your head at full volume. Paul Rudd, though, and we will get to the baseball talk, uh, I promise, folks, uh, making an unbelievable cameo at the end of, uh, this isn't a spoiler, in season two of Only Murders in the Building, which is another favorite of ours that one is one of my just that is one of the most joyful watches that i've had in a long time i don't know if you feel the same if you've watched only murder so it's I watched so the, good i tried the the beginning of season one and my girlfriend and i just we tried it and then we just eventually we never really got back to it we just stopped mm. watching and then didn't pick it back up i thought it was all right i i've never been that big a fan of of steve martin and martin short mm. um but I did enjoy parts of it. Also, I would I'm curious, how does that play outside of New York? Because while watching, I was like, this is one of the most New York centric, like every every other joke is a New York joke, the same way like 30 Rock used to be. It's funny you say 30 Rock because uh, the fiance did compare it. She was like, that's because that's one of her favorite shows is 30 Rock. And it, there's a lot of 30 Rock crossover and it. No surprise that Tina Fey is all yeah. over this show. Yeah, that's, um, that's not a surprise. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's a similar school and brand of humor. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely was curious. Is like, how does this play with people who are under 55 and don't read every week's New Yorker when it shows up? Well, I think because that's like fun. the target audience. Yeah, but I also think they poke fun at it where it's like they poke fun at that audience and they poke fun at the bubble and the bubble that with with it just within 
with with what am I trying to say here? Uh, within within which yeah, within yeah, which yeah. they live. Yes, that's yeah. it. Sounded weird, and I was saying it out loud, and I'm like, can I say within which? Yes, within which. Uh, which okay, I'm done with this. Um, <laughs> they live, and I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it plays um outside of the city. Now, what also slaps is the this movie came out in 2007, and then the Lincoln Park. What I've done for Goodfellas is my favorite of those. The Goodfellas okay. ending. They're yeah. so good. Uh, it's a great, great meme. Great meme on uh, Twitter.com that you that's, can go That's a very good one. Well, don't forget, folks, you can uh, watch this very program on YouTube as we continue growing out the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Jason's podcast. Like and subscribe there. Um, new content, all the episodes up there on uh, YouTube. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your podcasts. Uh, Jason's podcast, national daily sports podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. So like, subscribe, rate, and review, all that good stuff. Help other people find the show and help this very show continue to grow each and every day here on the Blue Wire Pod Network, which just celebrated its fourth birthday yesterday. Um, John, first yes. things first, though, uh, on the baseball edition of this very program, JT Romuto, you didn't think we'd start with the Phillies, did you? You didn't think we'd go there. Look, the Phillies, the Phillies are a playoff team, despite the fact that they were without Bryce Harper <laughs> for two months, which is, mm-hmm. I, go back to the day Bryce Harper was injured, or the day Bryce Harper went on the injured list when the Phillies were out of the wild card race, like hovering about or below 500 and tell Phillies fans, Hey, not only is he going to come back this season, but the next two months are going to be the best stretch of baseball. This team has played in probably like five years. Mm -hmm. And they would have just looked at you like you were crazy and gone back to studying the Eagles, uh, like training camp roster. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty remarkable what Philadelphia has done. And real Muto is a, is a really big part of that. So yeah, let's let's talk JT, the the best catcher in baseball. It's not a hard list. So I thought about it where it's like, yeah, he probably is. But then you look through it and you're like, we've talked about it in this podcast uh, ad nauseum at this point of just that like there is a dearth of just talent at the major league roster well, in terms there's, of catchers. There's a dearth of two way players. I think yeah, is the big thing. Like it, to, as part of this, you know, I was looking up uh, Real Muto's defensive numbers per Baseball Prospectus, and they, you know, they have. Uh, really in-depth catching defense stats. And by their measure, Real Muto is fifth in catcher defensive adjustment. They're kind of catch-all stat that covers framing, uh, blocking, throwing out runners, all that fun stuff. The top four guys ahead of him, Jose Trevino, who before this season was a pretty unknown backup uh, glove-first guy who has had a little bit of a I don't want to call it a breakout with the Yankees because I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at Trevino closely enough to know whether or not his offense is something that can be replicable or if this is just kind of a, the kind of weird bounce the catchers get sometimes. Uh, Tomas Nito, who is 100% a glove first guy in the mold of Jeff Mathis, Austin Hedges, who is pretty much the next Jeff Mathis, and Jonah Heim, who has a ton of power from both sides of the plate. Interestingly enough, I don't, I don't know the last time we had a, a, a well-known switch hitting catcher, but. Uh, definitely not as well-rounded offensively as Real Muto and only four years younger than him, too. I mean, they're rarely any youngish catchers. So, I mean, the list of guys you would consider be like, okay, they're great at the plate and behind it. It's really, it's Real Muto, it's Adley Rutschman, it's Will Smith. When he's healthy, it can be Yasmani Grandal. Sean Murphy, when he's right, I think is is up there, and I think he's going to be a really interesting name to watch in the offseason. Uh, Alejandro Kirk has actually graded out really well defensively, which is a surprise to me. But it, it's not it, to your point. It's not a long list. There, there are not a lot of guys who are uh, who are really truly great or even very good on both sides of the plate. 
or who even qualifies a franchise catcher. And right now that group pretty much just is, I mean, and Real Muto might even be too old for that now at 31, but you're looking mm-hmm. at the, you know, the Rutschman, Kirk, Smith, Murphy uh, grouping, and then maybe a step below because of age, you have Real Muto. But at least in terms of currently holding the title, yeah, he's he's the best catcher in baseball. I, I, I don't think there's really a, a debate there. By by our measures, by Fangraph's war, he's the best catcher in baseball uh, with, I believe, Will Smith right behind him. Or no, Sean Murphy mm-hmm. right behind him. And then Will Smith and Wilson Contreras also part of that uh, top group. But yeah, it's 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 remarkable, too, because there is I mean, he's been fine in Philly for the most part. But there definitely was a portion, I think, especially earlier this year when it looked like, boy, what is wrong with JT Realmuto? Something does mm-hmm. not seem to be right here. And instead, he's turned around very nicely. Uh, he won't be that for long. Like Adley Rutschman's coming. Like this is one of those where you look at any like they're Baltimore's eighth in WRC plus the catcher spot. I mean, Alejandro Kirk, maybe this is sustainable. Maybe that's for the next couple of years. I, th- I, I think it is. If only because of the hit tool, the hit tool for mm. Kirk is, it's, is very, very good. You know, we're talking about a, a, a guy who's shown like, you know, a preternatural ability to, to put the, to put the bat on the ball. So that, that alone is worth something. And Rutschman, I don't think they're, I mean, I think in a few years' time, we will be saying Adley Rutschman is far and away the number one catcher in baseball mm-hmm. because that's that's what he was supposed to be, you know, barring yeah. injury or barring something weird. And we've already seen it. You know, we've mm-hmm. already seen how good he is at every facet of the game so far. So It's not a Joey Bart situation. Uh, no, and and even there, I mean, there's still hope for Bart, but that it's probably just going to have to come with a pretty elevated strikeout rate, unfortunately. You know, that, that he's not, he's, and I don't know if any Giants fans realistically expected this, but I, I don't see the second coming of Buster Posey there. Although... It, the second coming of a Hall of Fame catcher is not exactly you don't get that every every, you know, every time it, it's it not as if out, this, it's really hard to just go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And yeah, this, franchises this is, it doesn't work. This like is that. not a Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck situation mm-hmm. where they just they just uh, luck into the exact same thing, but younger. Yeah, that's just not usually how it works. Like you need uh, let's just use the word luck again. You need a lot more luck, John um involved in that but i i'm curious the last thing on real real muto is for you now that he has so many plate appearances in philadelphia do you think it was a good idea for the phillies to bring in real muto and he's been worth the because he was he was traded to philadelphia right he Mm -hmm. was traded to miami as part of the main part sorry the main piece going back to miami was Sixto sanchez right so now that hindsight being 2020 here, was it the right move? Was it worthwhile for the Phillies to make this move? Yes, 100%. Okay. Um, if nothing else, you know, the so that trade in its entirety was Jorge Alfaro, Sixto Sanchez, a minor prospect named Will Stewart, and some international bonus slot money for Real Muto. Mm. Uh, certainly Alfaro, I don't think, is a guy the Phillies miss. Someone who had a lot of helium coming up, but has ended up being more just kind of a bat-first backup. Uh, I think now with San Diego, I want to say is where Alfaro has has ended up at this point. He is in fact in San Diego as a as an occasional starter who provides close to league average offense, but most of that is in the power side of things. Sanchez obviously still has a, a bright future ahead of him if he can get healthy, but so far we haven't seen that. Uh, he obviously missed a lot of time last year with shoulder problems. He has not pitched a whole lot this season because of arm problems. In fact, he hasn't pitched at all this season. Um, that definitely has to be concerning for Miami. I mean, the guy showed electric stuff when he was healthy, but when he's healthy is now something we haven't seen for two full seasons. So even just on that, on that simple basis, in terms of a a really kind of raw or or crude win loss, 
uh, metric, the Phillies, the Phillies won this trade running away. You know, they they have, they do not miss any of the pieces they gave up for for Real Muto. And in exchange, like we said, they got the best catcher currently in baseball. Um, to say nothing of the fact that Real Muto over his Phillies career has put up a 269, 337, 467 line with a 114 OPS plus and uh, an 805 OPS. That is fantastic numbers. He's been a two-time All-Star. Uh, he's been arguably the best hitter on that team since the All-Star break right now. He's a major part of why they survive. Bryce Harper going down, he's, he's going to be a major part of why it is this Phillies team makes the playoffs barring a, a end-of-season collapse. Although, I guess the, the game they just had against the, against the Diamondbacks the other night where they blew a seven-run lead and gave up 13 runs in two innings was not ideal. Mm. But... Yeah, I, I, it's hard to – It's yes, the, the Phillies won that trade. To say nothing of the fact, too, that after re-signing Real Muto this offseason, they still have him for another three years, which is also crucial because this Phillies team does not really have much in the way of basically any catching depth going forward in the minors. Um, mm. You know, you pull up per our updated uh, 2022 rankings per organization, the Phillies' highest-rated catcher on our board – is all the way down at number 16 on their list, Donnie Sands, who is currently in AAA and projects mm. to be a long-term backup. Uh, they don't really have anyone really set to fill that position anytime soon. So mm. on top of that, it's helped Philly paper over what's been a pretty persistent hold, not just in their lineup, but also in their organization, and then allows them some more time over the next few drafts to start looking for who that catcher of the future might be without having to do stuff like, well, let's play Garrett Stubbs 120 games because that's just not going to end well for anybody. So, yeah, it was a great trade for Philadelphia at the time. It has continued mm. to be a great trade for them. And like I said, if, if Philly does make the playoffs, they can thank Real Muto for a lot of it, which makes sense. Like I said, best catcher in baseball. There you go. Uh, John Taylor, did you see this? Did you hear about this? Minor about this, League Baseball unionized... What is going on, John? How explain yes. this to me like I'm five. Okay, so well for that I would need like color shapes okay. and like a board Eight. book with pop-ups. Okay, sure. Nine. So what has happened, and for those who are not uh, who have not been following the news on that, is that the Ma- is the Major League Baseball Players Association, the union that covers uh, Major League Baseball players, mm. uh, has extended uh, authorization cards to minor league players, which. You know, if they sign and say, yes, I would like to join the union, they will get to be a part of the union. Mm-hmm. It's it's not quite as simple as that, but that's the basic idea that M- the MLBPA has laid the groundwork now and has taken the steps toward integrating minor leaguers into the Major League Baseball Players Association, mm-hmm. which is huge for a variety of reasons. One is obviously the minor league that the minor leaguers do not have a union. There is no minor league baseball players association. For the entirety of the existence of the minor leagues, minor leaguers have never been covered under any union. They have never been able to collectively bargain for their rights. And as such, as you know, we've as has been talked about a lot and has been getting a lot of press, not just in the last year, but especially in the last 10 years, uh, that leaves them very, very vulnerable to the avarice and advances of Major League Baseball, which has perpetually treated both the minor leagues and minor leaguers as if they're a kind of encumbrance at best and an outright robbery of their money at worst. Uh, it has long been the goal of the major of major league baseball to keep the minors as cheap as possible. And that extends to paying minor league baseball players below poverty wages. Some guys make as little as $15,000 in a year to play baseball, which is absolutely criminal. 
Um, there's been a lot of agitation, a lot of movement in the last few years to get minor leaguers uh, to get so they can get their fair share. Obviously, we've seen some of that with the $185 million uh, settlement for the most recent class action lawsuit brought by a group of minor league players against MLB over over their wages. We've seen that with the way the teams have been increasingly in the league itself as well. And also the PA, which is notable, too, Mm. uh, has been setting aside more and more money to uh, pay the players to upgrade minor league facilities, particularly to help provide minor leaguers with housing. Because as you can imagine, when you're making twenty five thousand dollars a year, it's pretty hard to find a place to live. You're living um, on a couch. Someone you're living on a couch. couch. You're living on a couch in a one bedroom with four other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a horrible substandard way of living. And Major League Baseball has been getting away with this forever. But the tides have definitely started to turn in that regard. Part of that is, I think, the increased press and the increased negative press in particular for Major League Baseball to say nothing of things like the uh, congressional inquiries into whether or not Major League Baseball is essentially of uh, violating labor rights through what it's doing, which it entirely is. Um, so this is a big step forward for the minor leagues. It's a big step forward for the MLBPA, which has frequently in its past uh, never really considered the minor leagues or minor leaguers in past CBAs, obviously because the minor leaguers were not part of the union. Therefore, the, the MLBPA could not really represent them at the table, but also because there's always been that kind of divide between the major leaguers and the minor leaguers of, well, the Major League Baseball Players Association is designed explicitly to gain concessions for the Major League Baseball players. Minor League Baseball players have always just been left on their own and to try to figure this out on their own. So this indicates a really big change and a really big sea change, too, just in terms of how minor leaguers are going to be affected going forward, because now the MLBPA will be able to negotiate for their rights, which means they're actually going to have a a seat at the table and an ability to say, we want this, we want that, we need this, we need that, as part of an overall labor negotiation. So these cards have been sent out to minor league players, these authorization cards, where they need to indicate basically whether or not they're interested in joining a union. The minimum percentage required of those cards to be turned in to say yes to to then be followed by an election among the among the minor league players as to whether or not they want to join the union is 30 percent. Obviously, that's not a very large number and. It's unlikely that the MLBPA would have done this if they did not feel like there is a sizable majority of minor leaguers willing to do this. If you're only going to get essentially a third of minor leaguers who agree to say yes, then this move is probably not going to succeed because that is a whole lot of people's minds you need to change. And MLB is going to be able to use every delaying tactic it wants to try to pick guys off and convince them that a union is not in their best interest. So this and that's that would be as equally true if it were 30 percent as if it were 50 percent. You know, that's still a lot of people you have to win over. The golden goal for this is probably 75%, at which point there wouldn't even necessarily need to be a formal election. The National Labor Review Board would simply recognize that the minor leaguers have joined the Major League Baseball Players Association. So what's important now is two things. First, obviously, is whether or not minor the minor leaguers will agree to join the union. And again, I think it's really, really unlikely that the MLBPA would have gone to this, would have done this if that were not going to happen. I think they've gotten they've got some really good idea. Thanks in large part to Advocates for the Minor Leagues, a grassroots group that's been doing a ton of work to try to organize minor leaguers, educate them about the benefits of a union, and is now dissolving to join the MLBPA essentially as part of its minor league outreach operation. They have done a really huge job in terms of getting the getting the or doing the grassroots organizing work to get guys to this point. The other thing we need to wait to see is how the league itself is going to respond. Because we haven't hmm. seen that yet. We have not heard MLB had no comment on the initial on the initial news when it was broken over DSPN by uh, June Lee, good, a good dude. 
Um, obviously, the league is not going to be happy. They, Rob Manfred and the owners have long held that it is their right to pay minor leaguers as little as they see fit, that minor leaguers are part-time seasonal employees, that they do not deserve the benefits that working that uh, regular working full-time folks do or unionized employees, all of which is incredibly anti-worker garbage. So the what what is worth noting though with that is is two things. One is that Major League Baseball's agreement uh, agreement with the minor leagues, the professional baseball agreement that governs how the relationship between the two leagues works and everything is set in stone until 2030. That is the next time that will be up for negotiation, which means that the league cannot just unilaterally say, okay, in response, we're just going to start getting rid of minor league teams. Mm. They can't do that until at least 2030, which definitely takes away their most effective weapon in terms of busting this prospective union, which would be to say, okay, then every team loses an affiliate and we're going to start getting rid of guys. You know, think about it in comparison to the way uh, Starbucks employees have been trying to unionize where any time like it seems like any time you hear about a Starbucks store saying we've elected uh, we've decided that we want to form a union or we want to join a union, that Starbucks store is is almost in immediately closed. Mm. Uh, obviously not officially for joining a union. You know, it's always some excuse about, oh, it's you know, it's not profitable here or it's not a safe store or whatever it happens to be. MLB can't do that to the minor leagues. They can't just get rid of teams. They can't consolidate again. That would have to be something negotiated uh, in the next professional baseball agreement with the minor leagues. Just as importantly, the current CBA, the collective bargaining agreement between uh, the league and the players, the players rejected an, uh, uh, an offer from the league within the last CBA negotiations to allow the league to decide minor league or basically to make decisions about the minor leagues uh, without player consent. So that's something else that the, the MLBPA also has the ability to check the league in terms of doing stuff to the minor leagues just through the power of its own union. Proof positive that a union is a good thing. It allows it allows you to advocate for your rights and pre- and prevent your fellow members from losing their jobs. So obviously, this is going to take some time before it all shakes out. I think what we're probably going to see from MLB, I mean, the the main option on their table is voluntary recognition of the union, which they're obviously not going to do. It is not that is not a step that Rob Manfred takes. He wants to make this as painful and bloody as possible. Mm. I imagine we will see the league delay, make arguments, you know, try to. I mean, I don't know exactly. I'm not a labor lawyer, so I don't know exactly what avenues are open to the league in terms of fighting this. But the most important thing to note is that their main weapon, like I said, you know, uh, dissolving affiliates, cutting back on basically employment opportunities. They don't have the op- the ability to do that. So what we're going to have to see going forward is what exact how exactly are major leaguers and minor leaguers going to work together to achieve the ends that they both want? Because that is, you know, they, they don't. For as much as they're all going to be part of one happy union family, again, minor leaguers and major leaguers have very different goals in terms of what they want and need from their workforce and from the teams that employ them. So that's going to be interesting to see, particularly given that the major league baseball players as a whole tend toward conservative. You know, mm-hmm. they recognize the benefits for themselves of being in a union, but they also recognize, or I think the feeling has been that they do not want to extend those benefits to non-major league players because it weakens their ability to get the concessions they want. But the other side of it is how vitally important it is to get like to get all these guys represented together so that the minor leagues can be protected in the same way the major leagues can. And I think a lot of what's happened has been that in the wake of MLB consolidating the minor leagues uh, after the 2020 season, that major leaguers are starting to recognize that MLB doesn't really have the best interests of its young players at mind in this, Mm. that the minor leagues do need to be protected, that minor leaguers do need protection and they need advocacy. And 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how the rank and file players respond. Uh, the MLB Players Union uh, executive board, the, the guys who are on that committee, were all fully in support. Obviously, they don't represent everybody, but I would be surprised at this point if the players on the whole were not in support of this because I think a lot hmm. of them also, I mean, every major leaguer, with the exception of a small handful, went through the minor leagues at some point. You know, they all know what it's like. They have all been down there. They all know the situation. And for as annoyingly bootstrappy as those guys can be about, well, I had to do it, so you have to do it too. I think they're going to understand that this benefits everyone ultimately if they can make it so that the process of becoming a professional baseball player means something more than it does now, which is you have to scratch and claw and take a second job and live on poverty wages just to get the chance to get to the major leagues. And that's not fair. It's simply not fair to the guys down in the minor leagues that that has to be the way it is. And so more than anything, I'm really just happy that this has finally happened, that these guys are going to get the opportunity to to advocate for better wages, to make this a, an actual labor issue, Because which is the funny thing, too. MLB has always insisted minor league pay is a labor issue that must be negotiated. Well, now it will be negotiated. And I really don't think that Rob Manfred and the owners are going to like what's coming next so also don't be surprised when they come out and just call this all kinds of names and say it is a terrible idea that the unions have made that the union has made a terrible mistake, et cetera, et cetera. But know that a lot of that is bluster because truthfully, Major League Baseball can't do a whole lot here. And I think the end result will be that the minor leaguers join the MLBPA and that the next collective bargaining agreement we get is going to involve a lot of those issues around minor league pay, around minor league housing, around consolidation of the minor leagues, and a bunch of other stuff that you know, it, it, it's going to take some time before we see the full effects of this, but I don't see it as anything other than a good thing at the very least for the guys in minor league baseball right now and future minor leaguers too, to finally have a seat at the table and the ability to advocate for the things that they need and the things that they deserve. I wonder the cynic in me just looks at this and I think, and you know more about this than I do. I just, the cynic in me and based on talking to college coaches I think this is like the first step towards consolidating in a lot of ways where I think there's going to be a significant in 2030 when you laid it out or around that time. I think we're going to see a lot of minor leagues slashed. I think that is going to be where we go, uh, where they bulk up one league or something like that, kind of like the G League in in the NBA. And they're going to put way more emphasis on kids going to college programs and kids living pretty well, like NIL and with where you can live and living comfortably on scholarship with NIL and everything else. Like the hope would be like a lot of those kids go that route and they spend three to four years, whatever at a university, make their money, uh, live okay. And then make the jump for a couple years in one minor league system where there is a union where they are not having to sleep on a sofa for $15,000. I just don't, I don't see a path forward with this model without significant, (sighs) without a significant pushback from major league baseball owners where they're like, all right, we'll, we'll do that. But that means we're cutting a bunch of them. Even if it's, something they could avoid they could just pay all of these guys they could 1000 that, and that's it's also worth remembering that this is something that mlb could have avoided by simply being cheap right you know 
they have been beyond cheap. They have been so stingy that they're basically not paying these guys at all. And Simply I just don't think them, they're going to be less cheap in 2030, right? I, I mean, I look, I, I will never bet against MLB owners not wanting to spend money. That is their mm. that is their driving impulse. But if anything, this should make it much, much harder for them to try to consolidate the miners mm. because, you know, they're, it's going to have to be a negotiated collectively bargained issue. Mm-hmm. To say, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how the structure works with the professional baseball agreement between the majors and the minors in terms of what the next round of consolidation would be like. But at the very least, since minor leaguers are now will now be part or should now be part of the MLBPA once that becomes a thing, the minor league players themselves are going to be able to are going to be able to negotiate and collectively bargain stuff to keep those jobs, to keep yeah. those teams. And I mean, look, I, I don't doubt that MLB and MLB owners would prefer something where they just get rid of as many affiliates as they can. And the focus of the minor leagues becomes less about the baseball and more just about simple, pure development, the same way mm-hmm. that the G league seems to operate, um, which I think is an overall net loss for baseball. It's yeah. certainly, it would certainly be, I think, you know, the, the, the mindset I think for a lot of teams is we can save money because we only want to focus on the prospects and the guys who are going to be the most valuable to us, who are going to be the most efficient, whatever it happens to be. I mean, that's not what minor league baseball is is about, though, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, minor league baseball is where prospects go before they come to the majors. Um, but that's not the whole point of mine. Minor league baseball is, is about baseball. It's about growing the game in communities that don't have major league teams. It's about, you know, it's about expanding access to baseball in places that do not have major league teams. It's about providing a pipeline for guys coming out of college who may not immediately look like major league baseball caliber players, but to give them that opportunity to become that. I mean, some of the best players in Jacob deGrom was Mm -hmm. a seventh, eighth round pick out of Stetson university, a Mm -hmm. total nobody, a non-prospect initially who has now turned into the best pitcher in baseball. That wouldn't happen in an MLB where, and we, you know, we've already seen this in the way the draft has been consolidated, but that mm-hmm. wouldn't happen in a world where teams only have three affiliates instead of five or whatever it happens to be. A guy like DeGrom probably never gets signed. You know, that that is what MLB is essentially doing when it does stuff like consolidate the minors. And I think, too, that there is an understanding or at least knowledge that public relations wise, that's mm-hmm. not a good move for Major League Baseball. They have not benefited from consolidating the minors in that way. That was not taken as a positive by fans, particularly fans in places that lost their minor league teams. No one liked that, with the exception of the owners and Rob Manfred and the people who signed checks at Major League Baseball, you know? And I think what we're starting to see, you know, as, as that, this, that this union drive is a part of is that it, this isn't just about a small group of minor leaguers trying to draw attention to what they believe is an injustice and what is in reality an injustice. That this is a greater reflection of public sentiment that Major League Baseball simply shouldn't be allowed to get away with this, that they simply shouldn't be allowed to pay players poverty wages or get rid of teams whenever they feel like it or just decide that the draft is now 10 rounds shorter. Sorry, good luck with that. You know, these are the kinds of things. And, and kudos, I think, especially to, major, to, the, to the Players Association for realizing or at least accepting, hey, if you start screwing with the minor leagues, you start screwing with the draft, you start messing with all this stuff, you are narrowing the pipeline of players. You are making it so we are going to have fewer Major League Baseball players, ultimately, or at least fewer potential prospective Major League Baseball players. Every minor leaguer is a potential major leaguer, which is obviously a huge thing for the PA. So kudos to them for for looking out, I think, for the future and the interests of the game and the sport, not just Major League Baseball, the game and the sport in a way that, and I know we've complained about this endlessly, particularly during the lockout, in a way that Rob Manfred simply doesn't. You know, Rob Manfred's eyes are perpetually fixed on the bottom line. 
which is why mm-hmm. stuff like minor league consolidation and paying these guys so little money is what is has been the party line there. And I'm really glad that the PA ha- is, is taking on this fight because part of this fight is we're not going to let the future of baseball be dictated by how much it costs or mm. how much it, how much money it, it costs to make these teams work. The future of baseball should be determined by who can play baseball, you know, and mm. having these guys be a part of a union, ha- having them have giving them that seat at the table so that they can advocate for their rights is a huge, huge step in that direction to making sure that baseball is something that is not just by the at the women back of MLB in terms of how Major League Baseball and 30 awful billionaires want it to look like. We'll leave it there, which is a, uh, that was a good one. Uh, you're John Taylor's an expert podcaster. He's good at this. The, I'm passionate about the labor stuff, especially when it comes to baseball. It's, it is just one of the great travesties, injustices, shames, embarrassments, whatever you want to call it of professional baseball that minor leaguers get paid what they do, you know, and it has been forever. And I think, you know, as much as I give kudos to the PA, all the praise in the world is due to the guys like Garrett Brosweiss or Harry Marino, who led uh, the minor league advocacy group, or all the guys because we were part of that class action lawsuit that just that where they won that big settlement. All the guys in the past who have who have stood up and 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 talked about how unfair this is, about the horrible system in which they labor, you know, all praise is due to them for making this happen. Without their efforts, without their without their voices, we would not be here. And all of those guys are owed a debt of gratitude from all future minor leaguers who, who if, you know, if this union drive works, will end up now being protected by in under a collectively bargained agreement, you know, that the league has to abide by. That is a huge win, no matter what, for those guys, if that comes to pass. There you go. Uh, John Taylor. Yes. Do I have to live in a world where it's just assumed now that Dancy Swanson's just a really good baseball player? Like he I might mean, just be an elite baseball player. Is that where we're well, at? That's, I, th- I mean, I think so. I mean, that's going to be a question that uh, 30 GMs with the inclusion of Alex Anthopoulos are going to be trying to figure out this winter as to whether or not Dansby Swanson is actually good, which is going to be fun because he's going to be doing it at a time when he's going to have uh, fellow shortstops, Trey Turner and probably Carlos Correa and almost certainly Xander Bogarts in the mix alongside him. But it's really it's really getting hard to say he's not, isn't it? Like, I, I know I wrote uh, so I wrote uh, Swanson's player comment in the BP annual for 2021 after the 2020 season. And mm. I noted that there were a few things about his 2020 profile, which admittedly tiny sample that were not super. You know, mm. he had a, a 350 batting average on balls in play. He you know was still struggling badly against uh, non fastballs, against breaking balls in particular. Uh, his defense was, you know. It always had always been assumed to be positive. I think it, it kind of it, it's fluctuated a bit uh, over time. But, you know, and then I think we saw some measure of that play out in 2021 when he was basically a league average player despite hitting 27 home runs, in part because he just doesn't walk very much and doesn't and strikes out a lot. And because his batting average on balls in play went from 350 to 297. That being said, his batting average on balls on balls in play this season is 372. Hmm. That's really high. That is probably not going to stick in particular because Swanson, I mean, Swanson's hard hit rate has gone up the last three seasons, but it's still just 44.8%. It's not a super high number. You know, he's not a bad hitter, but the question I think becomes, you know, what version of Dancy Swanson do you get if the Babbitt block isn't there essentially? Hmm. Um, Because this is a dude who at least defensively grades up pretty well, Hmm. who is not a super huge ground ball hitter. So this isn't someone who's like a, a, a Juan Pierre, 
type who's like, you know, legging out infield singles by the dozen or sneaking them through the five and a half hole like Tony Gwynn used to do. You know, I, I think the question becomes, especially given that, you know, he's now uh, he's 28 years old. He'll be 29 before the start of next season. So whoever whoever buys in on him is going to get uh, presumably at least the downswing of his career eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, who is the true Dansby Swanson? And does that Dansby Swanson exist without a super high batting average on balls in play? I'm not sure. I genuinely don't know. Like when I when I text you the other night asking about him, like, I don't think I've come to any kind of consensus on this other than he's not bad, you know? And I think for a bit there, there is the worry that, oh, Dansby Swanson is just not going to be good enough. No, Dansby Swanson is fine. It's just how good can he actually be? And what is that really based on at this point? Like, what what are the metrics where if you look at Dansby Swanson's 2022 uh, beyond the batting average on balls in play where you're like, ooh, I feel really good about Dansby Swanson going forward, excuse me, in the future, you know? Here's what happens, John. After keeping my guard up for so long on the day, is this real for Dansby? What's going to happen is I'm going to let my guard down and just buy in and be like, he turned the corner. This is just who he is now. And then the Braves just give him the five-year contract. And And it, it just immediately next spring and into the summer, it's just back to the same old Dansby. The K machine is back. Um, Just... The, even the clutch stuff goes back out to the to the mean a little bit. I um, there's two competing thoughts here too, and I wonder if you guys at Fangraphs are starting to monitor this. It's just that like something I'm concerned about, and I think a lot of folks in Braves country are starting to get a little concerned about is that Ronald Acuna might be injury prone. Ronald Acuna might be a player who we're going to have to be a little bit nervous about every single year about having Ron Acuna. I think I'm not quite there to just hit the panic button on just his body and just whether or not he can hold up for 162 games year over year during his prime. But I am saying that like we now have two years in a row where I am a little concerned about his injury track record and where we're going. And I'm look, the contract is what it is. And we're, we don't have to relitigate just what he's making for this Braves team, but it's more of like availability matters. And they did want a title without him, but um, I am curious. It's these two competing thoughts where like, now I'm like talking myself uh, not out of Ronald Acuna, but I'm putting myself uh, a lot of my worries that I had towards is this Dansby stuff real I'm now pushing that over because I'm like, oh, Dansby's fine and this is legit to, okay, can we put Ronald Acuna in a glass container until October every year? Because maybe we'll be able to win enough to make the playoffs and then we can unleash Ronald Acuna come playoff time. But I am starting to to get there. Does that make sense? I think I think I understand where you're coming from. I mean, part of the question for Atlanta with regards to Swanson is, like you said, it's going to be the availability of the guys around him. Mm. And it's going to be the fact that, like you said, Acuna has had a season where he has struggled to stay healthy. Part of that, I assume, is just the recovery from the torn ACL from last year, and those things are never just a straight line of recovery. You know, that thing is, it it, it can be a difficult path. Mm-hmm. Part of that is just how much money they've outlaid to start locking up the younger pieces of their core. Obviously, the big money they gave to Matt Olson, the money they gave to Austin Riley, the money they've now given to Michael Harris. Uh, the money they've already given, albeit puny, to Ozzy Albies, the money that Max Fried is almost certainly going to be in line to get sooner rather than later if the Braves do, in fact, want to extend him. You know, it, it, it does raise a question of, well, how much more did the Braves have to spend? And, 
you know, where do they where do they want to choose to spend it? Mm. Part of that, too, is do they see Vaughn Grissom as someone who can be the instant replacement for Swanson at shortstop? I think they think he's their left fielder of the future. Okay. I think he's going to be in left field. I think next year the plan is like the full off season of him working out and just focusing solely on being uh, the Braves everyday left fielder. Would be my so guess. If, if that's the case, then you know you look at their prospect chart and you know they have Braden Shoemake in in AAA, mm-hmm. but he has not partic- he has not performed particularly well. I don't think that's a guy that the Braves just want to throw out there as their opening mm-hmm. day starter unless they don't really have another option. Uh, right. Their better shortstop prospect down in the major or down in the minor leagues, Geraldo Quintero, is only at advanced A ball. He only just mm. signed out of Venezuela back in 2018. You're talking about a kid who's just shy of 21 years old. And while the Braves have certainly been aggressive with guys like Grissom and Harris, I got to imagine a kid in, who's going to finish the season probably not even in double A is someone that they want to at least give a little bit of time to next season. Mm. Which then turns into a question well, if it's not going to be Swanson, and if it's not going to be Swanson, then you can pretty definitively write off. Turner and Correa and Bogarts because they're going to be as expensive and in the case of Turner and, and probably Correa more so um, than who yeah, is no, going they're to not be? dipping their toes into a long term contract for Dansby they're not they're not paying it to somebody else that's not happening yeah um, so where I mean so where do they go from there and, I, and I'm starting to wonder it's like if if part of the if part of the issue is in their mind like well, what do we do about Acuna going forward? He's kind of injury prone. Don't you want to have that more regular? Don't you want to have that bat that you at least feel like you can trust to a certain degree? Mm. I mean, look, the, the Braves have some, the Braves have some, not necessarily issues coming up, but they definitely have some questions they need to figure out. And some of that is going to be, you know, they, they're going to, you know, they're going to have some money freed up that Kenley Jansen is going to walk. They're going to turn down presumably their player option or their team option on Charlie Morton, who I assume is either going to retire or more likely than is just going to retire. Um, they have a few smaller deals coming off the books in terms like Robbie Grossman, Adam Duvall, uh, Luke Jackson. I assume there will probably be some non-tenders in there uh, to save them some money as well. But like I said, they're going to have to figure out uh, a raise for Freed if that's something they want to do in the future. They're going to have to figure out, uh, they're going to have to obviously plug whatever holes they need to plug in the offseason, whatever those end up being. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Marcelo Zuna, who's still under contract for another $36 million the next two seasons, which is a a significant problem that they need to figure out. I would be surprised. I mean, look, I I think we both thought Freddie Freeman was going to come back to Atlanta next year or uh, last offseason at some point. So I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if the Braves let Swanson walk. If they let Freddie Freeman walk, they'll let anybody walk. Well, I also think there's more, I mean, like Freeman or Stansby's literally from here and from Kennesaw, like not like very, very close vicinity uh, to Truist Park. If I had to guess, if there was a player who would not botch this and just be like, I'll take less to stay in Atlanta Brave for all of my prime, Stansby Swanson would probably be the number one pick here. But the other thing is, why Why is like you got to think about it this way, too. This is probably Stansby Swanson's last chance to make big money as a free agent. Whatever contract he signs is almost certainly going to be of a, of a four-year variety, if not longer, which means he's not going to hit the market again until he's about to turn 33. Mm. You know, that that's not he doesn't really have another choice but to get as much money as he possibly can this season, or this offseason rather. And particularly given, again, the fact that besides Turner, Correa, and Bogarts, the next best shortstop on the market after him is Jose Iglesias, Aledmus Diaz. The corpse of Elvis Andrus, there, there's really not a whole lot beyond him. So to that degree, too, for in his mind, it's like, okay, let the big three sign wherever it is they happen to sign. 
I can come back to Atlanta if they want me to come back, but I can also be the fallback option for teams that don't want to pay that top end of the market. <laughs> what I'm going to be really interested interested to see is how Swan what Swanson's initial contract demands look like and how he markets himself because that is going to be an interesting uh, challenge for him to make to figure out a way to make himself stand out given the presence of Turner and Correa and Bogarts in what's already going to be a kind of crowded free agent market. I think there's a good chance he stays at this point. Um, I think, I mean, like you said, the strike, like the strikeout issues come back. I mean, the strikeout issues are already there. They're, I don't think they're ever going to go away for Dansby Swanson. Well, he's just not a, he's not a particularly selective hitter in that regard, but yeah. he's not, he's also not a windmill. Like, you know, you look at, you look at his percentile rankings on baseball savants. He's in the top third of the league in chase rate. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. You know, he's, I mean, granted he's bottom, bottom quintile in strikeout rate, bottom 13% in whiff rate. Uh, bottom 39% in walk rate. Those are not great, but he's also not a hacker extraordinaire who I think you, you need to worry that he's suddenly going to turn into Adam or the, the the swing and miss part of Adam Dunn. Hmm. Plus, he's a fantastic defensive shortstop. He's a great base runner. He does hit the ball pretty hard. He's got some good power. You know, I don't know what that all adds up to money-wise. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't even, I'm not even going to try to put a guess onto what Dancy Swanson's next contract will look like. But I also don't think that this is someone where if the Braves were to re-sign him long-term that they're necessarily going to be regretting it quickly. They'll regret it at some point, as every long-term contract is regrettable at some point. But I think especially, and, and since you mentioned Acuna, and I, I do like that you mentioned it, they do have to factor in that like every like they need as many viable Major League bats as they can to keep this lineup f- going. Because if Acuna does end up being a guy where you cannot necessarily count on him to play 150 plus games a season because he does, you know, maybe he is injury prone in that regard, you're going to want as many above average hitters around him as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good thing they have Ozuna or they have Olsen, they have Albies, they have Riley, all of all three of those guys locked up still long term for quite some time. But beyond that, you know, they're really relying on what they can scrape out of the free agent market and what they can unearth from the minor leagues. I like the idea of Swanson just being kind of the last piece of that to lock in place. Be like, okay, we're ready to go with what we have. And that also just means we don't have to set, we don't have to settle for a bottom tier shortstop option. Uh, when, and that's the, which is the other part of it too. Like this Atlanta team is going to be a championship contender next year. No question. Um, maybe Tim Anderson, uh, maybe the White Sox decline his, uh, <laughs> his option and he becomes free agent. Well, I guess, I guess that's the only other thing is, you know, we, That'd we all thought, fun, man, we all thought Freeman, or at least we, I strongly assumed Freeman was going to come back because I figured, what's the other option if it's not Matt Olson? And it turns mm-hmm. out the Braves' other option was Matt Olson. So I guess the other side of that would be, well, if it's not Dansby Swanson and it's not one of the three better guys, better, depending on how you define that, of who are going to be available in free agency otherwise, is there a Matt Olson equivalent somewhere in baseball, uh, a young, cost-controlled shortstop, maybe you know just about to enter the prime of his career, who the Braves can identify and trade for? I, I don't know. I'd have to do a little bit of digging around, but I think that's going to be the main fulcrum on which this swings. If Alex Anthopoulos can kind of pull a second move like that and find his new, another Matt Olson to avoid having to pay, you know, avoid having to give Dancy Swanson $120 million or more, or whatever it happens to be for his age, you know, 29 and beyond seasons. Cause I, I ultimately don't think the Braves want to do that. I just don't know that they have a better option unless they do want to try Vaughn Grissom at shortstop. But the, from what you've said and from what I've read from from various scouting reports, that, that does not really seem like what is going to happen. 
yeah, I would be pretty, pretty surprised. Um, I will say shout out to Oxenthopolis for um, trading Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson for Jesse Chavez and Rizal Iglesias. Yeah, does uh, Jesse Chavez, forget. has he been on any team that isn't the Rangers, Braves, Cubs, or Angels in the last six years? I mean, he's been on the Braves twice this year, sir. Yeah, he that dude, he his real estate agent in Atlanta must just be cackling, be like, welcome back, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he didn't here, sell. I swear to God, here is Jesse Chavez since 2017. Mm-hmm. Angels, Rangers, Cubs, Rangers, Rangers, Braves, Cubs, Braves, Angels, Braves. That's incredible. He has been on four teams the last five, the last five seasons. But it's All more than that. Like he's team. bounced around a bunch. He's yeah, played he went, for iterations. Well, yeah, and iterations. here's his here's his trans or his transaction thing is absolutely yeah. is hilarious. Okay, signed with the Rangers ahead of the 2018 season. Was traded to Chicago midway through that season. Mm-hmm. Went re-entered free agency. Signed again with the Rangers. Spent uh, 2019 and 2020 with Texas. Was went went back into free agency again. Signed with uh, signed with the Angels. In February 2021, was released a month later, signed with the Braves a month after that, spent the 2021 season with Atlanta, signed a free agent deal with the Cubs before the start of this season, got traded by the Cubs to Atlanta a month after that, got traded to the Braves to Los and back to Los Angeles in August, and is now going to go back to Atlanta from Los Angeles. This is just this is so funny to me. This dude has not been anywhere else since the start of 2016. Because that's when he initially signed with the Angels. He's just been perpetually on the Angels, Braves, Rangers, and Cubs for the last six years. I mean, this is amazing. I'm all here for it because the man knows how to pitch when he's in a Braves uniform. So we are a pro Jesse Chavez account here on the Chase Thomas podcast. No, Um, I'm all for it. Like this dude has uh, this dude is unkillable. Yes. And this career is very, very Nelson Cruz of pitching. Yes. And the, the Nelson Cruz of Man, he must know Hartfield Jackson like the back of his hand. Goodness. Hey, it's a good one to know. A lot of a lot of folks coming in and out of Hartfield. One of the like biggest. Imagine, imagine all his Delta frequent flyer miles. I mean, it's got to be good. Maybe I need to be good friends with him. Travel more yeah, like Jesse. Uh, Get you those so. upgrades to to Delta Elite or whatever it's called. Uh, I believe you. Uh, I don't fly as much. Uh, these days john um it seems like everybody gets like everyone just has a horror story right now with flying lately where it's like no one has like a clean flight where it get no, one I gets mean, delayed well, or something happens like there's, there's this n- is nothing fun or good about flying at this point like right i i, I took a, a trip with my girlfriend to northern michigan last week mm-hmm. and the flights there and back were from new york were perfectly fine you know nothing mm-hmm. bad happened there's flights left and landed on time you know the we got mm-hmm. the little biscoff cookies which i love deeply <laughs> those are good uh, those are great. You know, you can buy those in supermarkets. I did not know that. That was a big day for my future <laughs> diabetic status was was finding out that you could get those in grocery stores. <laughs> but yeah, but at the same time, when you're on the plane and you're in this, this squished little seat and it reeks of farts and like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the they don't even have the little TV in the in the, in the head in the headrest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't you drop something on the ground. You can't even bend over to reach it. Like I bonked my head going into one of the planes. I bonked my head on the. <laughs> overhead compartment getting mm-hmm. out of one of the planes because like all airplanes seemingly are built for people who are five foot five and smaller. Like <laughs> it's frustrating. And I think that's just the the baseline of flying now is it's just, you're not going to like this, right? Like it's going to be a, it's, it may not be a bad time, but it sure as shit ain't going to be a good one. Yeah. And odds are, it's going to be a really bad time. <laughs> 
you should do the next ad read for uh, Delta or Southwest. I was going to say, I'm just I'm costing you sponsors left and right. <laughs> I don't think they've ever gotten the podcasting. Game. I've never heard an ad read for Delta. Well, that's a, well, that's the thing. Like no airline company ever needs ad reads for anything because there are like four options across the country that you can take. True. You know? And it's something like you want to fly to Atlanta. Good. OK, you got to take Delta. Sorry. You did no other airline. Sorry. You, just, you got to just screw with Delta. Ha ha. Suck it. Like that's. <laughs> The vibe of every airline is just haha suck it. Like you we you cannot force us to do anything. <laughs> we are purely a cartel that will do what to you whatever we feel like. Also, you can't sue us. Like that's just how it works. It's great. Amer- American <laughs> industry is great. I don't know. I don't know if flying's any better anywhere else. You just flying is miserable everywhere. Like I don't think that those like it's not like those cheap European airlines are any better, the ones that charge like fifteen dollars for a ticket and you're like airline travel shouldn't be that cheap like that is yeah you too, don't trust it it's too little money it's like on a late that. i know someone who got lasik uh on a discount and i just no that's just, no what are no. you paying are you paying by the eye is like is your right eye on installment plan or something <laughs> like what well, don't know there are just some things i'm not discounting where no. i'm like no i actually want you to overcharge like no, i yeah, want to be like, overcharged no, please please charge me a lot of money to fix my eyes that means that yeah. you've probably done a very good job like i want you to fix my eyes that cracked me up. Right? I remember that years ago of just saying, hey, I got a discount. What? Discount on LASIK? You're out of your mind. Um, you know, LASIK, what a country we live in. It's Everything's it's great, best. John. Everything's great. Uh, Justin Verlander to the IL, though. Not great. Uh, are you uh, a little worried about what's going on in Houston right now? And what does this mean for Verlander? Uh, not worried for Houston, I don't think, unless news comes out that this injury is worse than they expected. Um, I'm no doctor, obviously, but... The initial news was that this was a minor strain, that this mm. is just a matter of precaution. I mean, Verlander is 39 years old with a surgically rebuilt arm. There's no reason to push him, um, especially because, I mean, Houston has a playoff spot locked up. They are the best team in the American League. They don't need Verlander in particular right now, especially with the Yankees struggling as badly as they are. You know, they can afford to give him a break, um, especially if, you know, if nothing else, that break will at least leave him a little fresher going into October where they're going to need him to be pitching six to seven innings on the regular, if not seven to eight. So, no, I'm not worried unless this ends up being a more lingering thing, in which case, yeah, I'm a little worried because he really is the strength of that pitching staff. I mean, uh, uh, Lance McCullers, Jose Urquidy, Framber Valdez, uh, whoever you want to throw in that fourth starter spot, you know, uh, whoever it happens to be. That's not bad, but that's certainly not a rotation that I think is one you want to look forward to. I mean, when Verlander was lost in 2020, uh, Tommy John ended up missing the entire 2021 season as well. That may have been the difference between the Astros winning that or winning the World Series or not. You know, it, I, I think that team and and obviously losing Lance McCullers was a big part of that too. But I think that team, at the very least, with a healthy Verlander, gives the Braves more of a more of a fight. I think and and actually has a, a much better chance of winning that World Series. So I think paramount for Houston right now is let's not push anything. Get off the you know get off the leg. Let you rest. Let you heal. Take a breather. Because he is far more important to what they're going to be doing in October than what they need to be doing for the rest of for September. Because that division is locked up. Their number one seed is not locked up, but they are very much in control for that number one seed. Um, but yeah, well, we can revisit this if if it ends up being. I mean, I think you know, if you want to talk it's about just pitcher like a monitor, something to just be like, okay, sure, sure. It, he it's might be a little hum- more human than we thought he was. Sure. I, I think it definitely it's something that it also could end up being a lingering thing if it doesn't heal quite right, which I think is also why Houston just wants him to take the time off. You know, there's no yeah. reason to push it and turn this into a long term injury. 
I mean, I think the pitcher injury I'm more worried about going forward is Tony Gonsolin with the Dodgers, mm. who got put on the injured list with a sore forearm. Never, never something you want to hear, especially with Walker Bueller down with Clayton yep. Kershaw uh, coming back off the injured list on Thursday to face the Mets. But uh, obviously his bulky back has been a problem on and off for, for the last few seasons. You don't know how long that can hold up. Um, Tyler Anderson, Andrew Haney, never the pictures of, of perfect health. Dustin May himself coming off Tommy John surgery. So that was actually a 1930 Cincinnati Reds baseball player. He was. But <laughs> but yeah, as far as Houston goes, I'm, I'm not too worried about them. I do wonder what, if anything, that might do for Verlander's Cy Young chances. Yeah, I think he was pretty clearly uh, the top pitcher in the American League so far this season. Uh, you might say the, they cease to exist. I don't want to reward that. It's pretty good, but I don't want to reward it. Okay. Like I really don't. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd be curious what this means for the candidacies of Dustin Cease. Mm. Probably not so much. Uh, it, it's Dylan funny, Cease, sir. Or sorry, Dylan Cease, Dustin mm. Cease. I've, I've combined them into one super mm. pitcher. Um, I don't, I mean, I guess if you want to talk like the other AL Cy Young contenders, I mean, Shane Bieber is one of them. Mm. Uh, Shane McClanahan, although he didn't make his start today for what is uh, nebulous reasons currently, which has to worry the Rays a little bit. Uh, a little further down, maybe Framber Valdez gets some down ballot support. Uh, I'd be interested to see what Kevin Gaussman's candidacy looks like. By Fangraph's war, he's the most valuable pitcher in the American League, if not all of baseball. Hmm. Uh, but that the Fangraph's war uh, really highly values uh, FIP, fielding independent. Uh, I forgot what the P stands for, but they're field, or, it, highly, it highly values the fielding independent metrics, and Gaussman is very, very strong in those. Mm-hmm. So... I would be curious to see what, if any, difference this makes. I think Verlander probably still has the edge, even with this uh, stint on the injured list. Part of it is he is one of the league leaders in innings pitched, and while uh, Bieber and Cease and Framber's already ahead of him and Garrett Cole and all the rest will pass him during this short stretch, if if Verlander only ends up missing like two starts and comes back and looks just fine, I don't really think he's going to get penalized for that. So... But that at least, if you're if you care at all about the award stuff, that'll be an interesting to watch. Interesting thing to watch now down the stretch is if Bieber or uh, is if Bieber and Cease can make any kind of push uh, in his absence. Yeah, we shall see. And you know, there's going to be a strong, strong social media push for Shane Beamer and the Cleveland Guardians, uh, America's team that people forget. Just all the energy in the world for an AL Cy Young run for Shane Beamer. If if Shane Bieber wins Cy Young and uh, with the Cleveland Guardians, did it, did it actually happen? It's like the whole uh, well, tree falling in the woods situation in Cleveland, I mean, where they're Bieber just already, didn't Bieber already win a Cy Young? Or am I? Did I? Make I'm that not that? as a Cleveland Guardian, sir. No, yeah, he did back in, 20, back in twenty twenty. He was the AL Cy Young in twenty twenty. That was the oh, but the that's I, I see what you're saying, right? right. This that is was back, the Guardian. That was back when they were the Cleveland Racists. That's yes. Right. Easy to um, mix those up, John. But now we've come, we've moved forward. And I, I do wonder. Guardians. I do wonder for Bieber if that means, though, given that he's already won the Cy Young mm. for what was far and away a, a obviously a shorter but a far more dominant season, whether or not that means that Verlander, especially given you know the comeback from Tommy John surgery at his age, it, it almost feels like this would be kind of like a maybe not a career capstone because I don't think Verlander's done by any stretch. But just kind mm-hmm. of a, a coronation in the sense that it's like, yeah, man, you are one of the best pitchers we have ever, ever seen. And yeah. I will be I, I'm really looking forward. I'm not looking forward to Verlander retiring because he's such a great pitcher. He's the embodiment of what a what a power number one pitcher should be. 
But when his time comes and he does retire, talking about his career is going to be so much fun because this is one of the just best, most durable, most just outright dominant pitchers we've ever seen in our life. Like just an incredible, incredible career. And to think that he might be on the verge of winning his third Cy Young. And you can make an argument that he should have as many as six. Mm. Like it's like, remember the year he finished second to Rick Porcello? I do remember that year. That was really funny. And in retrospect, it's even funnier. <laughs> but I, again, Boston this Red is Sox legend, Rick Porcello. Like, I, I don't know if Verlander has done enough or can do enough to overtake Kershaw as the best pitcher of his generation. Uh, hmm. I still think that is probably Kershaw at the end of the day. But he's hmm. got he's right in that conversation, though. You know, it, it is it is a real, real honest to God conversation between the two of them as to who has been the better pitcher over the last 20, 15 years. Yeah, I think it's still Kershaw, but we'll see. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, John. Um, the Marlins, who have yes. not had the season they uh, would have liked. Um, nope. Marlins are bad. They are bad. Mm-hmm. But they but, have so much pitching talent. Yes, they, they have do. so much. So when you see the report this week uh, from one of the beat guys in Miami that they're open to trading <laughs> several starting pitchers this offseason. I am very curious to see what that actually means and how aggressive they really get because they could that that was the whole thing with Miami is I think they can fix this pretty quickly. Like the offense, they have some serious ammunition. I don't think there is anyone around baseball with more like we have the assets to go trade for any of any team's best player right now with how much teams value starting pitching and just how well Miami has developed and uh, just their, their plethora of options there. They're just unbalanced and every team around baseball knows they're unbalanced, but you can remedy that there are teams around the league that would kill for so many of these guys and give up a lot of great, not even just prospect capital, but win now players like important players right now, I am so curious to see uh, what Kim does down there in um, in Miami because she has just this war chest of options that she has not used yet. Like she has not made a big move as of yet. And we thought they might do it at the deadline. They didn't do anything. And now this winter, it seems like we're going to get some serious fireworks in Miami. Yeah, and I think we have to because, like you said, the, the the player development on the pitcher side has been fantastic. The player development on the position player side has been very weak, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of Jazz Chisholm. And you can argue that Arizona did as much of that as Miami did. Mm-hmm. There really is not a young uh, kind of building block player on that Marlins roster, I think, that they feel good about going forward. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but as, you know, as we talked about a bit last week around the Marcelo Zuna stuff, the guys they got back for those trades, in particular, Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, Magnura Sierra, um, they did not pan out, to say the least. Um, the Marlins did a very bad job developing those guys. Uh, some, I mean, there were, there were genuine issues there already. I know Harrison and Brinson had some real bad uh, swing and miss issues that they just never, never got a hold of. But it just doesn't bode well in particular for the Marlins going forward. And you look at their top prospect list, they have Jose Salas, and Jacob Berry as their top two position players, but then it's it's a pretty good long way down from there. And Salas is only an adva- Salas is only an advanced A ball. Berry was drafted this year out of LSU. 
and profiles to be at best a DH first base bat. So not exactly a guy you can, you know, not exactly a centerpiece position player, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, further, you know, further down, you've got guys like Yeti Cape, Ian Lewis, who are an A-ball, Peyton Burdick, who's an MLB, but uh, we have a 45 future value grade on. So we're talking maybe an above average regular, but certainly there's a long road between here and there. Uh, J.J. Blade, another guy I forgot to mention, it was a very high draft pick of theirs and who has not really progressed, I think, the way uh, they want things to go. I actually missed that Jesus Aguilar got released. Um, I had totally whiffed on that. I remember so, that, but I forgot about it. It's one of those. I remember seeing that story and then I just it, it did not. Yeah. Retain. And like you, you can see like they have some like they have uh, Burdick up now playing. They have Lou and Diaz now playing first base in, in, in the wake of Aguilar's release because they really need to figure out if he's a guy they can rely on going forward. Uh, they have Blade as the regular center fielder. They have Nick Fortes behind the plate alongside Jacob Stallings, who has really, really struggled this year. Um, there are some guys and you know, Gerard Encarnacion has looked very good at times, but yeah, definitely things are better on the pitching side of things and they are going to continue to get better. I think barring injury because Miami's number one prospect and then is Yuri Perez. We have number four in our global 100, uh, is a starting pitcher out of the Dominican Republic who is all of 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward Cabrera, who's obviously in the rotation right now, there's one of the best changeups in baseball. Uh, their number three prospect just rounds out our top 100. You know, yes, they lost Max Meyer to Tommy John surgery. That's really tough. We're not going to see him again until probably late next season. But and that's just talking about the minor league guys. Say nothing of Sandy Alcantara, the, the soon to be NL Cy Young. Uh, mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez has been a very good mid rotation starter for them and is still just 26 years old. Hazel Luzardo, who they've done a very nice job kind of rehabilitating after Oakland gave up on him. Um, there are some younger arms also, I think in their bullpen that, you know, are worth paying attention to. We have guys like Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, who are both on the injured list right now, although I believe Rogers is coming off it today or tomorrow. I can't remember which, mm-hmm. uh, they've got the talent there to make a move. What I'm curious about is who they would choose out of that group. I, I don't think there's any way they move Alcantara who's still reasonably priced under a long-term deal for at least the next two seasons. Cabrera, uh, still feels a bit young to move. I think unless they really can get someone to bite similarly, I, uh, Rogers and Rogers would be coming out would be selling low Lizardo. I'm not really sure if anyone has an interest in my mind. I think if you're going to see one Miami starter, if there's one Miami starter, I would put my money on, I think would be the most likely to be traded. I think it would be Lopez. Hmm. Uh, he's under team control only for another two seasons. And while he's going to be pretty cheap at that, he only is making a little under $3 million this year in his first year of arbitration. Uh, unless Miami can get him signed to some kind of long-term deal between now and I would guess this, the midpoint of next season, they're probably going to look to move him. And even maybe even before then, if his, if his uh, representation makes it sound like they're not going to take any kind of hometown discount here. Hmm. So I could very easily see Lopez being the guy to get moved, especially because since he does still have two more years of team control left through arbitration, which means he's going to be relatively cost-effective, I think you're going to get all kinds of teams interested and not just contenders if you were if you were trying to dump, say, an expensive veteran for a bat. Um, one team in particular, I think, makes a lot of sense for for Lopez. And I know that we've seen them connected to the Marlins previously in talks about Lopez are the Dodgers. Hmm. Uh, the Dodgers have a obviously the one of the best farm systems in baseball, if not the best farm system in baseball. They have a ton of young bats, both on the major league roster and in the minors that they could move if they want to. And their rotation looks really thin for next season. Uh, with Bueller now down for, out for the entirety of next season after undergoing Tommy John, you know, you can write him out of that rotation. Mm-hmm. Kershaw is going to be a free agent. And while I think he probably does come back to Los Angeles, there's always a chance he goes elsewhere, just says, that's it. I'm done. I'm retiring. Uh, so he could very well be gone. Tyler Anderson and Andrew Haney are both going to be free agents. They were both only there on one year deals. 
and I can see one of I can see probably one of them coming back. Um, maybe Haney, just because his price will probably be a little lower because he has missed time with injury. Uh, Dustin May is really the only guy you've got penciled in for that rotation next season at this point. And certainly the Dodgers are going to do something about that in the offseason. They're going to go sign guys. They're going to trade for guys. But I think Lopez would make a ton of sense for them. And I think it would also make a lot of sense because I kind of want to see what a team like the Dodgers that is so good at pitching development the same way the Marlins are can do with someone who kind of feels like is not quite stalled out a bit. You know, like like Cabrera, uh, Lopez is a really good changeup. He's got a good solid fastball, but there's not really a whole lot else that's part of that package right now. I would love to see what Los Angeles could get him uh, doing, how they could, you know, work with his pitch mix, maybe change some of his sequencing to see if they can unearth, you know, the kind of, you know, because we, we saw the first half of the season, Pablo Lopez has the, 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 has the ability to be a truly great starting pitcher, but mm-hmm. we're not really seeing that consistency in full. Uh, so I, I would love to see what they could do with him. But yeah, I, I think, I think definitely Miami should look to move an arm probably this offseason. It is the thing, it is the, the resource they have the most of. And based on the way they develop pitching, they certainly wouldn't seem like they would miss any one of those guys they moved aside from Alcantara. Um, and they don't really have the bats coming up through the system, and nor do they are they the type of team to spend big in free agency where you'd feel like, okay, like we're going to make a move here, uh, or, or better said, to feel like, you know, that they shouldn't do this, that they shouldn't look to try to get some more bats via using one of these arms. And I think Lopez is a really, excuse me, is a really strong bet to be that guy who gets moved. We shall see. I agree. I think Lopez is number one, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we get two uh, from this. Neither period. would I. I, I just um, the offense I, is just too bad. Yeah, they and, and they have a lot of they have a lot of holes to fill. This Miami team does. I mean, we're we're like I said, we have they have to see what they can get out of Blade and Diaz and Burdick and all the rest before kind of deciding what they want to do going forward. But I mean, Miguel Rojas is thirty four. Brian Anderson is thirty. John Birdie is thirty three. Joey Wendell is thirty three. Jacob Stallings is thirty three. Like. These are not young guys, and these are not guys they can count on for an extended period of time. And those also are not guys who produce particularly much this season. They really need to start getting a move on in terms of making that lineup younger and more athletic. And probably the best way to do that is going to have to be moving some starting pitching. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe today. Anything you'd like to plug on the Fangraphs front as we wrap up here this evening? Uh, just the usual stuff. You know, we're keeping our ear to the ground and, and doing all the stuff. Uh, Jay Jaffe's got a piece on the Josh Hader trade that's worth your time to see. What he has just completely fallen apart in a terrifying mm. way. Uh, Ben Clements had a nice Very piece mental. that I like. Uh, some of it seems to be a release point thing, which I would imagine mm. might be connected to some kind of lingering injury that has yet to be resolved. Mm. Uh, ben Clements had a nice piece today on Jose Barrios and kind of examining what's gone wrong with his season and some potential fixes. Um, but otherwise, you know, we'll, we're just going to keep chugging along through September. It's kind of unfortunate. It feels like a lot of the major division races, with the exception of the NL East and I guess the AL Central, have pretty much been decided at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, you know, obviously we'll keep our we'll keep our ears and eyes on everything and help you get ready for the playoffs. One particular thing uh, of note ahead of the playoffs: Dan Samborski had a piece today on whether or not head-to-head regular season records matter in the playoffs. Which, if you're a Phillies fan who is bereft about the way the Mets have just slapped that team upside the head all season. Definitely check that out. See if you should be more or less worried about that going forward. But yeah, Fangraphs.com. Come check us out. I also like want to go ahead and plug our brand new free mobile app available in Google Play and on the App Store. Access to player pages, box scores, leaderboards, uh, standings, playoff odds. We're going to be adding more stuff going forward in the future. 
So if you want Fangraphs on the go, go download the Fangraphs app. It is free. It is new. And again, as always, sign up to become a member at Fangraphs. Help support all the cool stuff we do. $60 a year for ad-free membership. It's the best $60 a year you can spend on baseball, for sure. There you go. Heck yeah, man. Mobile app. Let's go. I like it. Uh, I will be using that a lot come playoff time. Exactly. Um, for that guy up there in New York City, John Taylor, for myself down here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we've got. Make sure, as always, to like and subscribe on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Chase Podcast, and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is how you listen to this very program. John Taylor, I will talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.